with some high schoolers afterward? Afterward. Well, good morning. You know, thank you, Dan, for that time of worship. It's just, it's so fun. It is such a joy. And the whole world just disappears when we put our focus on Him, doesn't it? Uh, It is just so wonderful. And worship team, you did a great job of leading us to the Lord and getting our focus on Him. And the last thing I want to do is take our focus off of Him. Um, But part of our focus on Him is celebrating together with a church family where I can look out. And I know I won't call all of you by name, at least not the correct name, because I'm just disabled that way, even with my own sons. But I know you, and I'm anxious to know you better. And with a church the size of our congregation, we can know each other. And it's such a joy to worship together and be a family together. If you're a high schooler and are part of our worship team, would you stand up? I know there were more than one. Come on, where's the rest? (sighs) Yes, thank you. Thank you very much. It's such a joy to be involved in worshiping our Lord and leading one another and learning to lead together as a family, isn't it? Oh, thank you, Lord, for that. I'm just singing and praising Him and praising Him for you. It is exciting, and happy Father's Day. We sang about our Lord being you and only you, about being my treasure. He is our wisdom He is our hope. He is our joy. He is our life. We want to keep that focus on Him this morning. And and in doing so, I want to just read a few verses of Scripture for you from Matthew 4, and then we'll turn to Matthew 6 in a few minutes. But this is talking of Christ, and He's in the beginning of His ministry. And we read in Matthew 4, While He was walking by the Sea of Galilee, He saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting their nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, if you were here with us last week, that might sound familiar, right? Might sound familiar anyway. But that's where we were, that's where we opened last Sunday. And no, I'm not repeating Andrew's message. I didn't take his notes. But he, was, he started us here, and we got to verse 20 and asked the question, why, this doesn't make sense. Why would they just drop everything they're doing, leave their business and their family behind, and follow him? He just walks up and says, hey, follow me. And then he explained about the school that the young Jewish boys had, the Torah school, When they're five years old, they went to school for five years to study the Torah, the first five books of our Bibles. And the best of those after five years, they're 10-year-olds now, the best of those students went on for another seven years to further study. And then the very, very best of those were given permission 
to go find a rabbi they would like to become like, they would like to study under, and convince him to accept them as their student, as his student, and then they would follow him if they're accepted. Okay? Now, when Christ comes up to these men, he has a reputation building already as being not just a rabbi, but as a rabbi who teaches with authority that's never really been known before. This is amazing. So the best of the best of the rabbis comes up and says to you, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. This is, this is exciting news. This is a, a unique opportunity because he came up to men, young men, who had not been chosen. They had to go to work in a normal secular job rather than train as rabbis. This is exciting. This is like tuition-free, Harvard or Yale, handed to you. Yeah, I'm going to do this. Of course they're following. Do you remember that from last week? How many remember that from last week? Okay, that's great. That's not what we're talking about this morning, okay? Do you remember, if you remember that, you might remember what Andrew told us these young rabbi-in-training people might hear, these young men might hear as they begin to do a better job, a good job of following and learning and becoming a little more like their rabbi. If someone wanted to compliment them that they're doing this good job, they might say to them, the dust of your rabbi is all over you, right? I love that picture. It's that picture of you're following your teacher so close you're beginning to look like your teacher, okay? Remember that? We're get, I'm not trapping you this time because we're getting closer this time, okay? We're getting closer to this morning's message. As Christians, as followers of Christ, men and women, young and old, who want to trust and follow our Lord. Isn't that our goal? Not only our goal, but our desire to become more and more like the person our Lord was when he was here as a person, as a man? I mean, to, be, to, to begin to act like and sound like and, and even begin to think more and more like our Lord Jesus. Isn't that our goal? Isn't that our desire? That's why he chose us, right? We read in Romans 8, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So if you trust Christ today, even if you just trusted him this morning, that's what he's doing right now, conforming you more and more. Every day, every hour, every year, we're a little more like him, as long as we cooperate. And when we, even in our world with all our distractions and all our issues and problems, when we stop and take the time to think about it, to pray about it, to put our focus on him, that's what we want, isn't it? We want to be more like him. We want his dust to be all over us, don't we? To begin to look a little more and sound more and think more like Christ. And he gives us a lot of instructions. We know them as commands, right? To help us in this co confirmation process we're in as he conforms us. Commands like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Anybody there yet? Closer than I was five years ago. Hopefully closer than I was a year ago. But not there yet. Or love your neighbor as yourself. That's harder. Yeah, some of our neighbors, that's harder. 
How about this one from Luke chapter 6? Bless those. Are you ready for this? Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. Wow. This is getting tough. That's not my first tendency when someone curses me or abuses me is to want to bless them, right? Should be, shouldn't it? He is not shy about giving us commands. He's not shy about telling us what to do. But have you noticed? Sometimes the Lord just steps in and looks at us and says, no, you're not ready for that. It's too much for you. I'll take that one for you. You don't have to worry about it. Okay? Salvation is the first one of those that comes to my mind. A great gift, right? He just steps in and says, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Like, like when you have your two-year-old want to help carry in the groceries from the car and they try to pick up a, a 10 or 20-pound sack of potatoes, what are you going to do? You're going to let him do it? No. You're going to take that from him. You're giving him a lighter load and say, that's too much for you right now. Here, take this. Most two-year-olds anyway. Maybe some would do it. You're going to take the lighter load. I'll take the heavy stuff for him. Christ does that for us. Our God does that for us. There are some things in life that are just too big for us, too heavy for us, and God says, I got this one. Don't worry about it. Salvation. Think about salvation. Our Lord did not say to us, you, pay for all your sins, get your life all cleaned up, become perfectly holy, and then maybe I'll invite you into my kingdom. That's not what he said, is it? He said, trust me, I'll carry this one. It's too much for you. You can't handle it. I'll take care of it. I got it. Okay? I want to look at another one of those I'll take care of it for you commands this morning. Okay? A great gift from God. A great gift. Over the years, I've learned to use this a lot. I use it regularly. I haven't perfected the use of it by a long shot. I still have more to learn. But I'm beginning to really, and have for years now, really enjoy this. But it's a gift that most people, most Christians, think it's really hard to use. A lot of Christians think, I can't use it. It's the kind of gift that feels like one of those really tough commands or rules from God that that non-Christians love to use against us. You're a Christian, right? Then you've got to do this. You have to do this. God says do this. You've got to do it. It's one of those commands Christians, most of us, feel as though it's too much. I can't do it. And when we're encouraged or challenged about it, we often respond like, don't tell me that stuff. Get off my back. Don't give me that holier-than-thou kind of attitude. Nobody can do that. That's what we're looking at this morning. And I would ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. If you're not there already, turn to Matthew 6, 9. We find this gift here in many places, but here's where I want to start with it. This is during the Sermon on the Mount, and Christ is teaching us about prayer. And you're familiar with this. Okay? Before we read it, before we jump into this gift, let, let us pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father... You know us, you know our strengths and weaknesses, and you know, Father, that 
that this is going to be hard. This is hard for us. We've all heard it before. But to some of us, it sounds even unfair. For some, it might even sound wrong. But Lord, it's your truth. It's in your word, and we know your word is true. So Lord, be patient with us, but at the same time, Lord, give us patience. We ask you, Lord, that you would show us your love through this command and help us to understand how you're sharing with us that, Lord, that don't worry about this. I've got it. You don't have to do this. You really can't do this. Help us to see your love in this command. Amen. Matthew 6, 9, Christ is teaching us to pray. He says, pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Of course, we're familiar with it. We've known the Lord's Prayer for a long time. But did you see the gift? Did you see the gift in there? Where Christ says, I got this. Don't worry about it. Christ emphasizes it after this teaching on prayer in the next couple verses. Look at verses 14 15. He continues, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, he's not talking about forgiveness as in salvation. He's talking about us opening ourselves up to his discipline, okay? But you almost get the impression just from this passage that this idea that we are to, we are to forgive others is, is kind of important to our Lord, don't you? This sounds pretty, pretty real. It's clear we should ask to be forgiven and we should forgive others. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I know this does not sound easy and that's why I warned us about this. It sounds hard, but I ask that you bear with me a bit. We haven't got yet to the place where it becomes clear that this is God telling us It's too heavy for you. I'll take care of it. But we will get there. Just hold on a minute. But let me ask you a question first. Think about this a moment. If God forgives you the way you forgive others, how clean is your slate? How forgiven are you? Are you taken care of? Or do you have grudges against others that you haven't let go of yet? If you do, your slate isn't clean. Okay? How are you doing? Forgiveness, it's a great gift. We find it in many places in Scripture. I just want to read a few others of those in case you're not convinced He wants us to forgive. Later in Matthew 18, Peter comes to the Lord and says, How many times should I forgive? Up to seven times? Peter's rejoicing. He's pretty excited. He's going to be really generous and forgive his those who offend him as much as seven times. Remember the Lord's answer? No, not seven times, Peter, but 70 times. Or in many of our translations, it's 70 times seven because the Hebrew numbering doesn't translate very well. So it could be 
anywhere between 70 and, or 77 and 490 times. But the point is, we're not to be counting. We're just to be forgiving, right? And that's, Christ expands on that because he follows up his answer to Peter with a parable. And he shares in this parable about a slave that had a huge debt that he owed his master, a debt he couldn't pay with a lifetime of wages. And he begged for forgiveness, and his master forgave him the debt, wiped it out totally. Then the slave went around and collected from those who owed him a couple of bucks here and there, and he did not forgive them. He refused to forgive them. So in the parable, the master finds out about this, and he takes the slave and he throws him in jail until he can pay, which he, he never can. Okay. Christ concluded that parable and then he said in Matthew 18.35 he said so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart he's serious about this forgiving stuff we read in the gospel of Mark again where, where Christ is teaching about prayer and he says whenever you stand praying forgive if you have anything against anyone. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have something against anybody, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. There's no shortage. In Luke chapter 6, Christ commands us, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not, you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. It's a requirement. It's a command. Paul tells us in Colossians, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. There's no room, there's no wiggle room in this. There's no gray area. It is very clear. That's what he wants us to do, commands us to do. And we could look more. There are many places where he commands us to forgive. But let me just share a few of the things that he tells us we should do that I are really, I don't know if they're even possible if we haven't first forgiven. In First Peter we read, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. That's what we're here for, to bless others. He says, for this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. How do we bless people that we have something against? First John. We find this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. How do you love your brother, truly love your brother, when you're really looking for ways to get even with him? It, it doesn't work, does it? It doesn't fit. Again in First John, this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. The same kind of thing. Proverbs 24. There's a couple of really interesting verses in Proverbs 24, I mean, particularly about this. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased and turn his anger from him. You hearing that? Even if I enjoy it, when somebody who stole from me or lied about me giving me a bad time or whatever they did and they have a problem they stumble they fall they get caught and I go yes 
What comes around, what goes around comes around. How's that saying go? Yes, you deserve it. The Lord sees me in that rejoicing and he's displeased with me and he forgets his anger toward them. Wow. He's serious about this. He doesn't want us holding grudges. He wants us forgiving, doesn't he? Listen to Ephesians 4.31. Here we begin to see some of the blessings that we receive when we forgive. Listen to Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We're beginning to see here some of the advantages for us when we forgive. When we forgive, we become the winners. We become winners. Things like bitterness and wrath and anger, these things are put away. There's a movie, came out uh, about seven years ago. It's called Amish Grace. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It may have just been a made-for-TV movie. I don't remember that. It's a movie about an actual event. It's a true story. A 32-year-old man, his name was Charles Roberts, and he went into an Amish one-room schoolhouse. He went into that schoolhouse, and he carried some stuff with him. He had a rope or several ropes. He had uh, knives. He had guns. And he gets in this one-room Amish schoolhouse. He chases all of the boys out of the house, out of the school. He chases the teacher out of the school. He locks himself in with the girls. And he shoots the girls. He killed five of them. I think it was ten of them he injured seriously. And then he killed himself. I mean, that's ugly. It's a hard movie to watch, but it's worth watching. There's one line in that movie that speaks to Ephesians 4.31. The father of one of the girls who was killed, he's sitting down in the movie with his youngest daughter, or at least a younger daughter. She was not in the school. Her sister had been murdered by this guy. And clearly, she's really struggling. Understandably, she's really struggling. She's hurting. And she told her dad, she looks up at him and says, Daddy, I don't want to forgive. His answer was perfect. It was wonderful. He says, Honey, you don't have to forgive. But tell me, hon, what does it feel like to not forgive? And she looks up with tears in her eyes and says, It hurts, Daddy, it hurts. That's the gift of forgiveness. Not forgiving hurts the victim. When I don't forgive you, it hurts me. You couldn't care less. It hurts me when I don't obey and forgive. Forgiveness is a gift given to give us peace and joy. It doesn't come like that. It takes time to heal. But forgiveness is a gift to us. Listen to Romans 12, 19. We've all heard this one. But have you thought about it in the context of our command to us to forgive? Listen to this one. 
Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. The wrath of God, He will repay. This is the promise. This is what forgiveness is all about. God promises He'll take care of the justice. He'll do the hard part. We just have to let go. We just have to obey Him and trust Him. You trust your Lord? Do you trust? How much do you trust Him? Do you trust Him enough to obey Him when He tells you something that feels hard to do? But He says it's good for you. That's what forgiveness is all about. Who do you think can do a better job of seeing that justice is done? You or God? Who do you think? I kind of think God can do better than I can. See, this is where God says, I got this one. It's not something I want you to even try to lift. It's too heavy for you, too big a load. It will hurt you. It will break your back. It will break your spirit. It will invade your soul. And that's what holding on to bitterness, revenge, even hate, that's what it does to us. It invades us, doesn't it? He says, this is too big a sack of potatoes. I'll take the potatoes. Here, you take the potato chips. Forgive. It's done. I'll take care of it. Do we trust him that he will? Yeah. God never tells us he forgives the pain of unforgiveness. He doesn't ever say he'll forgive the pain of unforgiveness. But he does heal our pain when we forgive. It takes a while. He doesn't say forgive and forget. Just forgive. Trust Him. Let Him do it. Once we forgive, the healing process begins. Years ago, we were on a lake when Dennis and his brother were were younger. We were on a lake up in the Sierras fishing. And I think it was Rob cast over his head and his hook caught me right in the cheek. And he cast hard, and it tore into the cheek really deep. So we're sitting out there in the boat trying to poke it out, pull it out, push it through. That wasn't working. Gave up on that. We went in. I went to emergency. They cut it out. It was, they do that all the time. They just zip, cut it out, pull it out. You know, every time we tried to get that thing out, it just hurt and poked and pulled and tugged. As soon as they cut it out, it began to heal. The cutting out process, yeah, that wasn't fun. It hurt. Forgiving can feel that way. It hurts because we don't feel it's right. We feel it's unfair. It hurts, but once it's cut out, it begins to heal. The same idea. Before we go on here, I've got a few more things to say about this. There's a couple things we want to be sure we understand that God does not tell us about forgiving. A couple things here. He does not tell us we have to feel like forgiving. He doesn't say, when you can get around to talking yourself into feel like forgiving that person, go ahead and do it. He doesn't say that. If you have something against someone, forgive them. Done. It's done. Okay? The second thing, and this is important, so is the feeling part, but this is very important. He does not tell us we have to go down, talk to that person, say, I forgive you, Evan. I don't have to do that. 
It doesn't say anything about going and telling Evan that he hurt me. And, and he didn't. I just picked a name, right? <laughs> okay. He doesn't tell us. We don't have to do that. We simply forgive by praying. We already read it. Mark 11:25. If you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anybody. It doesn't say, you've got to go out and tell them about it. That's between the Lord and them. The forgiving is between the Lord and you. We just have to go to the Lord. Lord, I forgive them. In fact, that's exactly how we do it. Heavenly Father, or Lord Jesus, I forgive myself for messing that up again. And myself is a good place to start. Right? We're hard on ourselves sometimes. That's it. It's done. That's what forgiving is about. That's what it's all about. You're not sure yet? Maybe you're not convinced? You're still thinking? But they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. They need to pay. We all understand that feeling, don't we? We all know what that feels like. But let me ask this question. Have you? Have you? Turn with me to Romans 8.1. We're going to look at a few other verses, but turn with me to Romans 8.1. The question is, if we forgive someone who sinned against us, Where's the justice? Well, we've already seen that, but let's look at it in a little more detail. They sinned, they stole from me, they cheated me, they abused me, defamed me, slandered me. They don't deserve my forgiveness. They deserve to pay, right? I can't forgive them. They don't deserve it. Let's step back a moment. Just, Just look in the mirror. Just look in the mirror. We all know Romans 3.23, I believe, or most of us do. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. That includes me and you. We've all sinned. We've all done it. And sometimes that's against somebody else. And 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. We're all sinners. Again in 1 John, If we say we've not sinned, we make him to be a liar. I don't want to do that. I think we know we've all sinned. We're not going to argue about that. But then listen to Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins before we were believers, before we trusted him. We were, that's who we were. Okay? But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Through faith, that not of your own, it is a gift of God. He not only took care of our sin by His grace and love and mercy, He gives us the faith we need to trust Him for it. And all He asks us to do with respect to someone sinning against us is forgive him and let him take care of it. It doesn't sound too hard in comparison to what he's done for us, does it? As we trust Christ in his rich mercy and his great love, he forgives us. What does that mean? Look at Romans 8.1. Look at this. This is what it means to be a believer, to be forgiven by God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. 
You ever look up that word, condemn or condemnation? It's to find someone guilty of a crime and sentence them to punishment. It's both. Find them guilty and sentence them. Well, we've already seen we're guilty. We're all guilty of sin. It's clear. And we know God's sentence for any sin, right? The wages of sin is death. Eternal death. Forever separated from God. Forever separated from any love or justice or truth. Anything good. We'll never see it again. That's the penalty of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Whoa. That is amazing. Why? Because Christ took care of it. He carried it away. We're set free, aren't we? What happens to the sin? Look at the next couple of verses here. And remember, this is Paul writing. So if you really want to dig into this, you have to kind of write it out word for word and break it down and think through each word because Paul packs a lot in a couple of verses. But we'll summarize it here as we go. For the law of the spirit of the life, spirit of life, that doesn't help. Let me start over again. Verse 2, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh there's a lot there but what it boils down to is as we trust Christ he sets us free and he condemns the sin we're free the sin is condemned and I read that and that is exciting wonderful joyful news And I think every one of us, well, maybe there are some of you young enough to not feel your own regrets in a serious way for things you've done over the years. But most of us recognize those things. Oh, if I could only go back and change that. But that's all wiped clear. We're set free from all of that. And I love that. But then what does that mean if I have forgiven somebody who's a believer? What happens? Where's the justice? Or am I letting him off the hook if I forgive a believer? If I forgive Evan, we'll go back and pick on Evan again. He's a believer. He's a great man of God. So if I forgive him, where's the justice in what he did to me? We're not letting him off the hook. I'm not letting Evan off the hook a bit there. I'm just passing him from my hook to God's hook. God has a sharper hook. And it's a bigger hook. And he knows how to cast it exactly right at the right time. He's going to get him every time. Okay? Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay We give up our anger. We give it to God. He takes care of it. And we exchange our pain for peace and joy. That's a pretty good deal. That's a great gift. But what if they're believers, like Evan's a believer? They're forgiven. Where's the justice? Where's the hook? We could probably easily spend another hour just on looking at that 
but it's actually pretty clear and easy to sum up in this one verse in the book of Hebrews where we read in Hebrews 12:6, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves he chastises every son whom he receives so as believers no punishment for sin but we have discipline and chastisement from God and I'll trust God's discipline and chastisement over my vengeance any day because he's going to do it perfectly he can carry that sack of potatoes without batting an eye and I got to struggle with it and it's not good for me to forgive when you think of forgiving somebody when you think of somebody that's really offended you remember you're just handing them to God he'll take care of it and he'll replace that feeling of vengeance or frustration or anger or malice whatever those feelings are in you he'll begin to replace it with peace and joy and love much better deal for us and he'll do it right and all we need to do in obedience to him is say Heavenly Father I forgive so and so for having done such and such that's it and it works and it's a wonderful tool and it brings a lot of peace husbands and wives I highly recommend this for each other parents and children I highly recommend this you know I've forgiven Lenny several times a day sometimes it's not that she's doing anything wrong but it feels wrong to me sometimes to get frustrated with something she does she'll get frustrated with something I do I just say Lord I forgive her I wouldn't tell her that because she didn't do it wrong but it felt wrong to me right use it with your in your relationships use it at work use it with your families use it all the time and then as something bigger happens it's just automatic I obey my Lord and I forgive Heavenly Father start with yourself I forgive myself you got something big you're fighting forgive yourself for it comes up again you mess it up again forgive yourself for it again he won't get tired and he'll give you peace and joy he says follow me I'll make you fishers of men and he'll do a lot more for us as we follow him and the more of his dust the more we obey him the more we look like him the more we begin to act and think like him the more of his dust we have all over us you know what happens the more people around us our family friends and acquaintances the more they begin to see Christ in us they might even come to trust him because you learn to forgive wow Heavenly Father thank you for being our God thank you for your love thank you Father for your command to us to forgive thank you that we trust you help us Lord to trust you more we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ Amen Amen <laughs>